You're listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on America's WebRadio.com. Got an outstanding show lined up today. Uh, Kelly Austin, a candidate for public service commissioner in Georgia, will be calling in around uh, 2.15. And then we have a very special treat. We have uh, Carly Fiorina, the, uh, the very... Uh, I guess noteworthy Republican candidate that's rising in the polls. It's up to third place now in some of the uh, the national ones behind Donald Trump, Dr. Ben Carson, and Carly Fiorina. We have her Georgia team here today, Dr. Kathleen Ruth and Loretta Lapore will be joining us about 2.30 in studio to talk about her campaign. Lots of stuff going on with her. CNN has the next Republican debate on September 16th, 6 p.m. coverage start time on that. They are trying to keep Carly Fiorina off of the stage by using some weird metrics on uh, on how the polling is rated. As you may remember from the previous debate, the if you weren't in the top ten, you were not on the main stage or the main event or the primetime debate, and you were uh, sent off to the what they called the kids' table. And Carly Fiorina, by a about 84% of America thought she dominated that debate, and it really catapulted her onto the uh, national scene. She's gaining a lot of traction. She's very good on the stump and uh, got uh, probably one of the biggest uh, fan bases right now. She's really resonating with a lot of folks. Her team is here today. We are cautiously optimistic we'll be able to get her on the show at a future time, but it doesn't look like today is going to work out. They're obviously doing what they can to try to get on the debate panel, uh, which September 16th is going to have the top 10 Republicans, I believe. CNN is hosting this one. I think the Republican National Committee really has a has to put their foot down on this and say, look, you're going to put the right people on this and not try to exclude one of our top-tier women just to make the Republican Party look bad. You've got to uh, – I'm not trying to be conspiracy or conspiratorial here, but you have to wonder why – after such a successful red state gathering weekend and a debate performance, why CNN would not want to have her on there. David, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but shouldn't CNN just care about ratings? Shouldn't they? I mean, they've already got Trump and they're going to have Dr. Carson. And so Carly, maybe that's what kind of messes up the liberal mindset. Are you sure it's CNN? Yeah. You're a hundred percent sure. Or the communist news network. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Uh, supposedly, the next debate, September sixteenth, CNN. Okay, okay I, I, I don't know why I was thinking it was a different network. Um, but how do I feel about it? I, I'm like you, and I, I think uh, you have to be. I would say, like within a month, the four week average, or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but to go back, I think they're going back to July yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. They're going back no. before the first debate, which where, has absolutely nothing so to do with So where are they going to place Ben Carson? <laughs> uh, they're going to put two, you know, he and, and Trump now are both at 23%. Yep. So are they going to put them, are they going to be two head tables? You know, I, I, you got to ask, are they going to do it where, like the Fox debate was, where they had them all lined up and they kind of went from, you know, ascending to descending yeah. order, where they had Trump in the middle, Walker and Jeb, and now Walker and, and Jeb are still in the top ten, but they're certainly on the fringes now. And you've got Dr. Carson, Donald Trump, Carly Fiorina, and Ted Cruz. 
themselves the four the four of the liberals' worst nightmare. Although I will argue that the liberals probably don't mind Trump still uh, having you know first rate. Uh, uh, polling results because he is such a polarizing person. Some of the conversations I've had offline is once this race gets a little more settled, some of these candidates are going to take the off-ramp. Rand Paul, as we talked about last week, was successfully able to uh, uh, talk the Kentucky GOP into letting him run for both Senate and President, so he may stick around. And he does have, a, even if it's only 3%, he does have a very fervent 3% of support. So maybe when some of these other candidates drop off, he'll get up to maybe high single digits or double digits, and he'll be able to persist for a long time. And since he was able to run for both offices, why not? But uh, some of the other candidates, you have to look and see, will they try to save face? I think Rubio and Walker certainly have staying power. Jeb Bush has more than $100 million in his pack, so he is certainly going to be uh, a factor, I guess, would be the right way to call it. And they are well positioned for the long haul. Because you've got to wonder, is Donald Trump's support real? Is he actually going to put a ground game in 50 states? He's going to start spending his own money or hosting fundraisers. He, for a while, he said he wasn't going to host any fundraisers. And then last week, he said, hey, look, I've gotten all these donations from small contributors under $100. So he's already been kind of backtracking a little bit. I don't see him investing a billion dollars of his own money. But I could I'm be not, wrong. I'm not sure he's got a billion dollars sitting in the bank either. He may have it on paper, but uh, I'm not sure it's in the in the bank. Well, that's I, a fair I could point. be terribly wrong. But. Yeah, well, it could be like uh, when James Gandolfini uh, died of a heart attack a couple years ago, and the uh, estate tax made him liquidate all of his real estate holdings. He had more than five million dollars in assets. He was not very well prepared for the um, for the aftermath. He didn't really have a good will in place, and so the state basically had to sell some of these mansions. And that was before the, the real estate market had uh, improved so much. So there's a big difference in having liquid cash versus having a bunch of real estate assets, which then have to be sold at rock-bottom prices, just to pay what the feds say you owe. <laughs> but old Donald will tell you, he's, I'm, I'm rich. I, I'm, just, I'm really, I'm, really rich. Yeah. He did prove that his hair was real, even if his conservative policies are not, David. So. <laughs> <laughs> we saw that last week. He's, I saw that. I mean, I mean, you know the guy, you got to give him credit. Yeah. He, and and I, I'm not saying this, this is not my thought, this was somebody else's thought, but I, I picked up on it and I totally agree. He has talent, and his talent is to turn, you know, I, I can turn gold into mud. I've got another word for it. I can turn <laughs> gold into something else, whereas he can take mud and turn it into gold. And he has the ability to make uh, any social get-together uh, his performance, you right. know, and and that's what he did with the hair deal. That's what he did with calling out McCain. That's what he's done with, you know, every situation. He's got that talent, and you can't, uh, you know, uh, Obama's got the talent of screwing us, and he's done a damn good job well, of it. Yeah, Obama's kind of the the fecal king, Midas, isn't he? Everything he kind of mm-hmm. touches turns to. Uh, Yes. Yes. <laughs> Is that I, I think that's FEC or FCC compliant, but uh, yeah. Did you see Obama is changing the name of Mount McKinley, McKinley to yeah. Denali? Uh, you know, I, I I admit I don't know a whole lot about William McKinley. I know he was from Ohio because basically everybody in he Ohio put everything is on the gold standard off right now. What's that? He put everything on the gold standard. Okay. I, I mean, he was. Uh, 
Well, I know he was also assassinated in office, yeah. and yesterday the liberals uh, took to social media and said, yes, he was a terrible president, and Obama's doing a great thing, changing the names of stuff. Denali, I mean, Obama is supposedly going to Alaska to... to tout his uh, climate change agenda as usual. So, and it reminded me that the GMC Yukon Denali, which gets the lowest possible gas mileage of any vehicle, it would be named after this mountain. So now, I I know it's an Indian tribe or a Native American tribe, since we can't say Indian anymore, can we? No, not unless you're in Washington, D.C. But anyway, (laughs) uh, did you hear today, this is scary. And and you can only lay it on one guy that's been in office for seven years now. The Russians have, I think it's fifty ice cutters, ice breakers, up the, up there in the North Pole, basically. Right. And they're going after they're break they're keeping the the lanes open for the oil uh, that that they're going to start drilling for. Do you know how many icebreakers we have? And uh, let me ask this: You know how many icebreakers we have in the Navy? Five, zero. None. In the <laughs> Coast Guard, we have two, and they're in the Gulf. And they're, and they're in the Gulf of Mexico. Right? They're made out of wood. <laughs> <They're> made, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, we wonder. I mean, we're we're the best country in the world. And we've let this piece of garbage turn us into a third third world country almost. Yeah. Well, I mean, the military is shrinking underneath his watch. And, you know, at, at some level we do have to live within our means, so to speak. We outspend China by a seven to one ratio. I can ratio. live within my means. You get rid of all the welfare that we're – all the garbage we're giving away yep. welfare-wise. I'm for a strong military, period. Then everything well, else falls underneath it. Yeah, well, we spend more than $700 billion annually, but the problem is they're, they're, in my opinion, devoting way too much to equipment, and they're spending so much money on these planes that are not nearly as useful as they used to. We don't have dogfights like in the World War II or Vietnam or, or era because the, the ISIS, they don't really have much of an air force. So well, we have these – I mean, I think we need to be investing more in people, paying the soldiers more – and making sure that they, they have the best on-the-ground equipment. But some of the, the technology that we've been deploying in the air, and, and, and you know, we're about probably 20 miles here from Lockheed, but, you know, some of the, the defense contracts that we're spending massive billions of dollars on, I don't think the equipment is that useful. I'd, I'd love to. You know what? We should get we should get a military expert on my show sometime to really kind of drill down what he would say is the, is a, a good investment, so to speak, versus investing more in the actual people that are in the military and, and taking care of them when they get back here. I don't know. That's just a thought, David. Maybe we maybe we should invest in the in, in, in the VA hospitals here, maybe some of that money instead of having the fanciest airplane out there. You know, we've got Or am I just naive? I think you might have hit a point there at the last the last you know, we've <laughs> got uh, we've got you hit it on the head earlier, invest back in people. We've got uh, our latest equipment some of our latest planes sitting on tarmacs, not being used, not being, they're not even taken out for a run anymore because we don't have the staff, we don't have the money to right. pay for the fuel, we don't have, you know, uh, 
and we need them. No, you're, we need the Air Force. We need the military. We need equipment. We don't need to be giving equipment to uh, Iraq that goes directly to ISIS. Yeah, let's ar- let's arm the moderate Muslims. How's yeah. that? How's that worked out for us historically, <laughs> David? You know, Not well. The, today's moderates or tomorrow's jihadis that point the same weapons we gave them right back at us. It's incredible. It really is. So, uh, you, so I, you know, I and the other thing is that we need we need uh, a president. An administration that has some gonads that will... We have ridiculous spending in the military. We still do. We have wasteful, wasteful, wasteful The $100 hammers at the Pentagon, stuff like that. That's what I'm talking about. We've got a company out in Gainesville that I very know very well Mm -hmm. that during uh, the the second Gulf War was selling carpenter boxes to the military. They were literally going to Home Depot, buying the electric saws, buying the saw, paying three hundred dollars, and then charging the military three thousand yeah. bucks for this car. Well, the nature box. of government spending is if you don't hit your budget from the year before, they'll lower your budget. So they yeah. start throwing in all this junk at the end. We need to have zero based budgeting. Um, but anyway, we're going to take our first break. We'll be back with uh, Kelly Austin running for Georgia. Public Service Commissioner, newly announced, and uh, listening to what she's got planned for her campaign and uh, the the very important utility uh, uh, and, and other public services in Georgia. See you in a minute on Greg's List. Staying on course without support is tough. With help from family and community, you get valuable support for recovery from a mental or substance use disorder. Join the Voices for Recovery. Visible. Vocal. Valuable. For confidential information on mental and substance use disorders, including prevention and treatment referral for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. And I uh, got the, the, the pleasure now to, to chat with one of the newest candidates in the state of Georgia, Kelly Austin, who just announced for Public Service Commissioner, I believe it was last Wednesday or Thursday. Anyway, Kelly, you can help clarify that for us. Welcome to Greg's List. How are you today? 
I'm doing great, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, it's uh, it's my pleasure. I always like it uh, when I see some some folks that I've I've gotten to know over the years that are announced for. Uh, for big-time positions, public service commissioner. It's a little bit of an under-the-radar position, but I actually had uh, Craig Lutz on a few years ago, and uh, he was uh, very uh, technical and, and talked about all the, the issues that uh, was really under the purview of it and really is a race that kind of stands out to me because you do a lot of work regulating the utilities, and uh, the utilities are basically benevolent uh, monopolies, or they, they, they're purported to be benevolent, but their rates are controlled somewhat by the state and the public service commissioner. So uh, anyway, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and why you thought the uh, public service commissioner would be a good fit for you and your talents. Certainly. Well, I appreciate it. Well, you're right. It is absolutely an under-the-radar position, um, and that's really what brought my attention to it as I began to really research that and see where things have gone over the last several years and what I would believe to be in the opposite direction of where we should be going in Georgia. I've spent most of my career um, in the political realm as a consultant and a strategist in a small business marketing um, business development consultant. I actually run a small chamber of commerce now. I'm in southwest Gwinnett and work with businesses to market themselves and be more effective. Um, that's really why this Public Service Commission is so important to me because the spectrum is so broad. Yes, technically they regulate these use certain utilities, but the reality is their decisions impact every single aspect of energy across the entire state. Because where, for example, the commission does not regulate the EMCs. Those are privately owned, privately run um, by the, the, um, the shareholders. But they own the same energy plants along with Georgia Power and the regulated industry. So they're very, very interactive. So whatever the commission regulates or sets standards for the regulated utilities, it has a direct impact on everything else in the state. And what we've seen, what you said actually was perfectly on the mark that about the, the benevolent monopolies. The Public Service Commission was put in place for one very, very specific purpose, and that was to represent the people of Georgia, to make certain that the people of Georgia across the state have access to reliable, secure, safe, and reasonably priced energy telecom solutions. But what's happened in the past six years is that commission has really transitioned and is in so many respects not looking out for the best interests of the people of Georgia, but really have become the commission of the monopolies, um, of protecting them and ensuring that they have whatever they need. Now, I wouldn't say that anyone with any of these utilities are bad people. By no means. They're business people. If I'm in business, my goal is to provide a good service, but ultimately it's to make the highest profit margin that I possibly can because that's how I provide for my family and how all businesses stay in business. And so for these businesses to ask for whatever it is that they want, that's within their rights. But I believe that the Public Service Commission's job is to put a line in the sand and say, here's what we will allow you to do, percentage of profits, rate, etc. and here's a line that you can't cross. It's their job to kind of push back against these utilities and to investigate in pricing and all these different aspects to make certain that the people in Georgia across the state are getting the absolute best value and that we are being as economically 
feasible as we possibly can, that we're being the most open to private enterprise and to capitalism as we possibly can. And I don't see that happening today. Yeah, well, you know, you look at it, and many of the listeners may remember when they deregulated uh, the the telephones back in the mid-'80s. And all that did, they didn't set up a bunch of companies that could relay uh, telephone lines. They just said, okay, AT&T, you still own the line, but we're going to split you up, and then we're going to open it up to all these marketers. And what ended up happening was prices actually went up and uh, eventually. And so the, the, the problem with power is you're not going to lay down a whole lot of other power grids. So we do have to kind of have some form, and um, having them for-profit companies probably does make them more efficient, but at the same time, you could look at it and say these are for the public good, and we it's just not feasible to have another set of power plants going on. What I'm looking at, for, in the case of Georgia Power, is this past session, they actually came to some cor- kind of agreement with the solar people, and it looked like they, they have a little bit of a truce going. I actually saw Upson County in South Georgia has a big solar farm plant. I think that uh, uh, the the role of PSC going forward is is to not only deal with the the kind of the old infrastructure, but to look at these new projects and say, okay, how can we get the most competition without tearing up infrastructure? So is that something that that's on your radar too? How are you going to get? I don't think wind power is very efficient yet, and I don't see a huge cry for that in Georgia. But solar power seems like it's it's becoming more and more viable. And you're right, you're so, right, you're exactly right, Greg. And that is absolutely why this is so very imperative. And that is the crux of why I am running for this position and why I am absolutely convinced that the incumbent who is there must not stay there. We have a lot of responsibility as the commissioners to be involved in all of these aspects. The specific role of the commissioners is is stated as being a level of influence. So even the aspects that they don't directly regulate and control, there is some significant influence. And when it comes to these private enterprise projects, the ones that are done on their own and the ones that are done in coordination with Georgia Power's ASI program, the commission is morally obligated to be involved in those things, to be looking out for the individual property owner, for the individual person who's making bids to this, to be directly involved. And what I have found to not be the case is our incumbent is not doing that. He is abdicating his role. He is... Basically, he's assigning the utility to be the liaison with individuals who've reached out to him for their assistance instead of stepping up and doing his job to help them. Um, Complete dichotomy to what he should be doing. Um, There's so much that needs to happen in this, exactly what you're talking about, in the solar industry. There's a lot of potential there. Um, I don't believe it's completely being done in a way it should be done to the the spirit of the law that was passed. Um, There's a lot of competition that really needs to be brought into that marketplace. A lot of transparency needs to be brought in that's not really currently there that could be there. And as far as wind, that's another great example. The Public Service Commission just recently uh, approved a big chunk of money to go study the viability of wind off the coast of Georgia. Now, personally, I don't know that wind is viable, but I am not an engineer. I don't pretend to be one. I never intend to be one. I believe that any smart person can look at some basic numbers and make good decisions for Georgians. And what we're seeing right now is that wind is not proven to be viable, and I believe studies need to happen, but I don't think that the Public Service Commission should be the one funding those studies. I think those should happen 
from the educational institutions, from Georgia Tech, the University of Georgia, the, the facilities that are best designed to do those those research projects. Right. Well, you have such not, a power. Not our tax dollars. You have, you have so such powerful lobbies. I remember last session when they were trying to kill the uh, the tax credit for the Nissan Leaf, which basically combined with the uh, federal tax credit, you were able to lease a Leaf for two years, and uh, you were a free uh, a, a free freeloader, basically a Leaf loader, if you will. And huh. dealing with those lobbies, where you were merely trying to get people driving a Leaf to pay a little bit of money towards the infrastructure and not run off with uh, forty five million dollars annually of Georgia taxpayer money. There was a vicious fight on that realm. Georgia Power has their own set of lobbyists. The jo- You're uh, right, Greg. So, so a, to me, yeah. you've got to kind of you know, almost be an advocate for the citizens and say, look, we're going to stand up to the utilities, but also to their lobbyists and the special interests. And that's one more point where my opponent, he actually lobbied the legislature to keep that tax credit in place. He personally drives several of these lease vehicles. Um, and he fought to keep that credit in place, and he bemoaned that the entire industry would implode if that credit was taken away. Tax credits were never designed to support an industry. They are designed to motivate and encourage growth in an expanding market, to really motivate investment in technological advances, not to support that. So if taking that tax credit away implodes an industry, then it was a false industry to begin with. And my opponent lobbied our legislatures to keep that that $45 million a year tax credit, tax subsidy in place. Those are things that are not protecting the voters of Georgia. You are exactly right, Greg. It is about representing Georgians. Is it going to be against lobbyists sometimes, against special interests? Is it going to be for small independent farmers? Yes. Is it going to be for EMCs sometimes? All those different things. The answer is yes to all of them. It's looking at what's in the best interest for Georgia ratepayers for every Georgian across the state, not just one in one small county in the state that perhaps may be your donor pool. Those things have to change. Right. Well, anyway, where can people find out more about you? It's been uh, great chatting with you today. I know you've got a busy schedule. Congratulations on the announcement. It is a statewide race, and uh, Georgia is a really big state. So uh, hopefully, people can find you. Hopefully, they can find you online if they're not able to visit uh, the far flung corners like Dalton and Valdosta, which you will no doubt be traveling to. I will. And I'm an eighth generation Georgian, Greg, and I've lived in multiple counties around the state. I'm descended from about 40 different counties, so I have just a huge (laughs) passion for the state and for the people. Anyone can get in touch with me very, very easily. My website is votekelly.com. Kelly is with an I-E. Votekelly, K-E-L-L-I-E dot com. Contact information there. You can sign up for newsletters and to follow things. Also on Facebook, just search Vote Kelly and you'll find me that way very, very easily as well. Well, very good. I appreciate your time today, and uh, next time we'll probably have a little bit uh, more information on this Southern Company uh, Atlanta Gaslight Resources oh, merger, which uh, that one a lot was... A conversation there, Greg, for I, sure. I was about to say, that that's a whole other 15-minute segment on Greg. So thank you, Kelly Austin. We'll see you soon, okay? Thanks, Greg. And we'll be back in a couple minutes with Carly Fiorina's Georgia team, Dr. Kathleen Ruth and Loretta Lapore in studio. Looking forward to a great interview. Lots of uh, moving parts with the next debate coming up. I am optimistic that uh, CNN will put Carly Fiorina on the main event debate stage. We'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List. My name is Dr. Jeff Terry from Mobile, Alabama. I love taking care of my patients and not computers. That is why I need your help. 
On October 1st, the government will mandate that I implement the new ICD-10 coding system, and if not able to do so, then I will be put out of business and my patients will have to find a new physician. Please call and write your congressmen and senators today and tell them no to ICD-10. Tell them physicians need a grace period in order to concentrate on you, the patient, and not the computer. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, You can rest assured, knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. As promised, we've got the very special tandem, Carly Fiori and his Georgia team here in the studio, Loretta Lapore and co-chair Dr. Kathleen Ruth. Dr. Ruth, uh, I feel funny saying that. Just say Kathleen, it's Kathleen, great. Can I, can I stick with Kathleen on that? Yes, please. How, how are y'all doing today, ladies? We're great. great. Thank you for having us. Yes, yeah. thanks. Well, it was my pleasure. Once we've seen uh, the ascendance of Carly Fiorina and my personal connection with, with both of y'all, I said, you know what, this would make a great show. And as we were discussing off here, the, the recent kerfluffle, if you will, about CNN intentionally trying to, I think, sabotage the Republican Party in general by not letting her on the... Uh, the debate stage, and that's something that is a fluid thing. I personally am optimistic that she will be included on there, but uh, y'all just must be excited to be part of this team that uh, really is growing and uh, has a lot of, of passionate supporters and a lot of uh, kind of intellectual supporters, too, that look at Carly Fiorina as being able to articulate us. She's been focused on who I consider the, the true enemies of liberty, which is the Democrat Party, specifically Hillary Clinton right now, which we're finding more and more doesn't know what the definition of classified is, is to uh, quote from her husband 20 years ago. But uh, tell us a, a little bit about the campaign, how you got involved, Loretta. Did you reach out to them or uh, or how that how that kind of happened 
Well, I've um, been familiar with Carly for quite some time, and um, I actually worked on John McCain's campaign back in 2008, and Carly was a surrogate uh, for that campaign, and so met her when she came into Georgia, and have followed her career since then in her nonprofit work. So um, I was asked by some folks to first join a call with her. Um, It was a group of businesswomen throughout the state, and I was highly impressed and did some more research and um, wanted to see what she had been doing since her HP days. And um, little by little, got more familiar with the campaign and ultimately decided to get on board. I think she's got a great platform. Um, She's certainly qualified for for the job, and um, we're seeing tremendous amount of momentum growing, of course, nationally, which everybody sees, but also in Georgia. There's just been a groundswell of activity here since the last debate, and we anticipate that growing. Yeah, and so same for you, Kathleen, or how how do you get, get in touch with? I know your your husband, who's a frequent guest and a very good friend of mine, is was kind of a Chris Christie guy, and I'm assuming he's now switched to the Carly Fiorina. But is that what attracted you as well? Or? Oh, definitely. You know, Carly has such a, a compelling story as an overcomer, um, an overcomer of breast cancer, as well as um, her work at HP and. Um, creating a a successful company through one of the um, uh, deepest recession bust. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, she's a a great woman, and and as well, I was attracted to her her work um, that she's done with the nonprofit with um, International Opportunity. Right. So basically they said, okay, we're putting together a Georgia team, which I think is very smart. Some of the candidates don't seem like they're – they seem like they're neglecting the South a little bit. Now, fortunately, they are coming around the red state gathering. We obviously, I think we had 10 or 11, 10 if you don't count Trump, 11 if you do, but he wasn't there because he was kicked out. But anyway, the buzz after that event and right before the event, because it uh, was just coming off the Thursday debate, was Carly Fiorina. She had a huge event at the Georgian Club, or what was it? It was, Peach, what, it was the Country the Club, Capital Club in Brickett, Capital mm-hmm. Club, mm-hmm. which had like 400 people. Yes. And y'all opened up the floodgates to the, just let everybody come in. What was that? Did, how did that decision happen? Well, we started with a small um, a, di- a small gathering. It started out 30 um, that Yeah, 30 or <laughs> You know, with about 50 it was going to be the room, and, um, and then we opened it up even before before the debate, it, we started growing to numbers close to 200. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the debate, it was just, we were inundated that night and the following morning, and we just decided to open it up to mm-hmm. everybody. And um, it was very interesting because, of course, there were folks that um, we knew would be there that because we invited them. And um, also, you just saw a real different cross-section. You saw some folks who were there who aren't typically engaged mm-hmm. in politics, which I think is very interesting about this election in general. So um, even just anecdotally, I went to the dentist the other day and um, my dentist said, you know, I've been so turned off by politics. I so don't want to participate, don't want to, you know, I've just tuned it out because I'm just so disheartened by what's going on in Washington. And she said, but this election cycle, I'm tuning in Mm -hmm. and I'm interested. And she watched the debates. I had another friend who, um, she said she had an elderly neighbor and the elderly neighbor didn't have a television, but on the day of the last debates, she came over and knocked on the door and said, can I come in and watch the debate with you. So I think we're seeing a lot of um, interest in this in this primary. Um, and I think Carly's just, you know, there are some different candidates we've seen just by the poll numbers. She's polling up in the top five in most state polls, and she's definitely um, in the top ten. The latest polls show her at number four in the national polls. So, um, you know, she has she's sharing that message that some of the other candidates are of being a non-establishment candidate, mm-hmm. not a professional politician. Right. 
and, and bringing about fresh perspective and ideas to um, America's problems. Yeah, you know, a lot of people do, they want, uh, you know, our, our leaders to have some business background. Mm-hmm. But back in 2012, we saw that used against Mitt Romney, and uh, that's one of the fears I have that the left may bring that up again, because Carly Fiorina has been very successful. Uh, with HP did downsize a little bit. There's, I'm sure all that stuff is going to come out. Eventually, maybe even Republicans are going to try to push that out. What What is the, what's the biggest argument you have against people that would say, well, she's very rich, and she's just not one of the people, and, uh, you know, the, the business career she had was, you know, built on top of firing other people. What's What would be one of y'all's responses to something like that? Because that's going to come out. That's stuff that I've heard. I don't necessarily buy into it, but it, I certainly do see potential for her being treated as kind of a female Mitt Romney. Well, I, I will just start, and then yeah, Kathleen, yeah. you know, please jump in. Um I think we've already seen, and especially immediately on the heels of the last debate, we saw the DNC begin that campaign, Mm -hmm. and we've seen the Clinton campaign begin that campaign, and like Carly said, we welcome it, because that means that they see her as a threat. She's a viable candidate. Um, To the argument that, you know, she built her career um, on others is unfounded. When you look at when she came into HP, the company was really falling behind Mm -hmm. in the industry. Um, Anybody, I think, that worked in the technology industry at the time will tell you that HP was a laggard in the industry. And um, she had to challenge the status quo. It didn't make her particularly popular with people who wanted to maintain that status quo. But that background and being able to bring people around to her way of thinking, and if you look now at at individuals, there was a a gentleman that was on her board at that time who recently published an op-ed in um, the New York Times supporting her Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, the changes you made in hindsight, were the right decisions. Um, And now we see that HP is a global leader in technology and present in 170 companies around the world, and it's employing a lot of people Mm -hmm. globally. And she started out as a secretary. I mean, she wasn't, she didn't come into a whole lot of money or grow up with a lot of money. She started out as a secretary and to move from secretary to being um, the first woman of a woman CEO of a top Fortune 20 uh, company is can only be done in America. Yeah, well, you know, and I think that's something that y'all really need to focus on. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you may be holding some of the powder later and, and just saying, well, we're able to just attack uh, Hillary and the, the Democrats right now and we're able to, you know, achieve gains in the polls. But uh, I think we, uh, you know, I didn't know that about her. I think personalizing her and, you know, thank you for, for coming in today to, to help our listeners understand that. But that's something that Mitt Romney failed to do. He failed to connect, and he did kind of come from a blue blood family. His dad was the governor of Michigan and all that. And so it sounds like Carly's background is far different. Am I right about that? Well, I think she's the daughter of a federal judge. Mm -hmm. She had a a solid education. Mm -hmm. She graduated from Stanford. Um, So she's well-educated also, but she certainly had to start at the bottom like we did. I mean, I was a Kelly girl when I got out of college. Um, She was a Kelly girl answering phones. That's how you used to start, you Mm -hmm. know, in the business world to figure out what you did and didn't want to do. And for your listeners that aren't familiar with her background, there is a website from secretary to CEO.com. And her whole career is spelled out there and her background as well. And that's a good resource for folks Mm -hmm. that are trying to make up their minds in this election cycle. Also, Carly for America. America.com has a lot of information there. Yeah, and one of the things that, uh, you know, has recently come up is CNN using dated polling, polling that was 
you know done in July as their baseline, as as their metrics to get this debate going uh, on September sixteenth. And you know, I know y'all are working hard. What is there anything going on behind the scenes that y'all are maybe telling? Hey, RNC, it would look really really bad if the Republicans allowed a debate to happen where uh, our female candidate, who is just a night and day difference than Michelle Bachman was four years mm-hmm. ago, can I get a hallelujah for that? Hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> just, I, when, I, when I compare the the two uh, races, it, it really is just a dynamic. Uh, field that we have, and we almost have too many good candidates that we're you know we're going to be burning through a couple of them. Uh, I do think the the off ramps are, are available, especially for the senators that, that may not make it out. But somebody like Carly, who clearly has the financial resources to at least fund a campaign up until the first part of uh, till the first primaries, and it seems like her donations are expanding at a very good pace. But someone like this debate coming up to have her on the national stage, it's 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 not only unfair. I think. It it would be a way that CNN was trying to sabotage the Republican Party. And I'm not trying to be conspiratorial here, but I'm just looking at basic numbers and who has the buzz. And i got to ask myself, well, CNN would have better ratings with her on there. So what what is their motive for trying to keep her off? Any uh, thoughts on that? Well, CNN has said that there are um, rules dictating um, the way that they handle this campaign and that those rules are said by federal agencies. Um, you know, we would beg to differ with that. Um, certainly the RNC has a role to play here in stepping up mm-hmm. to ensure that all of our candidates have a voice and that the American people get to hear from the candidates. Um, this is not as though uh, the campaign is asking for uh, to let to let Carly be on the debate. Carly has earned, earned a position them. on the debate stage. And when you're polling at number four nationally, um, it's hard to, um, to think Think that whatever rules the RNC set out, you know, several months ago, are applicable today, and um, and sometimes change just needs to happen. Sometimes people have to say we were wrong, and we need to fix this. And certainly, we're seeing a lot of groundswell across the nation. There are petitions out there to sign. Um, if if you if your listeners would like to do so, that are asking that CNN and the RNC reconsider those criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, Carla has said on the talk shows about this. She said, you know, would we keep a football team out of the playoffs based on their preseason? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. So um, we're hopeful that perhaps there will be a light uh, at the end of this tunnel before we get to the debate. Yeah, I mean, it just it just makes sense. I mean, what kind of frustration are you feeling? Oh, it's very frustrating. You know, who takes the average polling from July the 16th to the to September the 10th. Um, and especially now that she is ranking um, top f- five na- nationally, statewide, and then top ten nationally. Yeah, and she's it's, running. It's yeah. very, it's unfair. She needs to have a, a place on that platform. Even Ben Carson said it. Yeah, Ben Carson said it. And I'm sure if you asked Donald Trump, and uh, it wasn't anything about his hair, he <laughs> would honestly say, I want more people watching me. So, yes, having her on the stage, which I just think would be a natural ratings boost. If you have, you know, somebody like Trump who's got the the showmanship and kind of the anti-establishment but does it with uh, kind of a simpleton uh, approach versus Carly's approach, which is far more cerebral, but she's Mm -hmm. still able to connect with the average voter. And then, of course, Dr. Carson's uh, delivery. And then, you know, again, we're leaving out Marco Rubio, who did very well at the last debate. And, you know, right now I'm a, a Scott Walker fan, but I am... 
you know, a little disappointed in his campaign so far. And I'd like to keep all the options open. I am happy to see that most of the candidates have, besides Trump, have, have stuck to trying to attack the Democrats and attack the fact that we are not safer or better off than we were, especially on a foreign policy type dynamic than we were six years ago. And frankly, we just can't trust Hillary Clinton. I'm glad that Carly, who has been on that message the whole time, has continued to do so instead of taking easy shots. Anyway, let's take our, uh, our 245 break here. We'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List with Carly Fiorina's team, uh, Georgia team, Loretta Lapore and Kathleen Ruth. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of series journalism only on America's WebRadio.com. We are joined in studio today by Carly Fiorina, the, the rising star in the GOP field with uh, her Georgia team. We've got Chair Loretta Lapore and Co-Chair Kathleen Ruth here with us. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, Carly is new to the political scene. Not her first campaign. She ran for Senate in California uh, back in 2010, I believe. Mm-hmm. She did. Against she ran Barbara against Barbara Boxer, Boxer which I the incumbent. I, I really yeah. wish she had won that one. Yeah. Barbara Boxer is the. Uh, you can call me ma'am, right? Yeah, I mean we've. It's gonna be. It's hard to take out uh, these far left coast liberals, but uh, what kind of? But lessons? she did get a considerable. Um, Percentage of, of Democrats. Yeah. The, well, the, well, it wasn't a presidential year. But what uh, what lessons do you think she 
taken from that one, which you can say, yes, it wasn't successful, but you're running in California. It's very hard for a Republican Mm -hmm. to win. So what do you think some of the lessons she's learned from that 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 have made her improve this time around? Well, I think any time that you're a first-time candidate at that level, um, you take away a lot of lessons, you know, one about running a campaign and um, two, a lot about the issues that you're faced with and um, how you want to talk and convey your message. I think what we've seen from Carly in this campaign, um, probably what she learned through the last campaign, is honing your message is critical um, and making sure that you are addressing the concerns of your electorate, whatever that may be. Um, In this case, when Carly's out speaking, she'll offer often speak for just a brief few minutes. She doesn't speak all that long, ever. Um, And then she takes questions, and she'll take questions, you know, 40 minutes to an hour. Um, And and, you know, we found and we're seeing in all of the news articles coming out of Iowa and New Hampshire um, and even the national press that's covering her in those states, in those early states, that she's a fabulous retail candidate. Mm -hmm. So you learn that. Um, only through being a, can- a mm-hmm. candidate. And so uh, I think she learned that. I think, you know, there are only 31% of the voters uh, in California are registered Republicans, yet she took 42% of the vote, which means she had to capture independent and yeah. some Democratic mm-hmm. voters mm-hmm. as well in a very blue state. Yeah. So I think she's learned to, um, you know, how to to appeal to diverse audiences. Um, but I think that's also authentic to her. So uh, you have to know who you are, what you're about, uh, and be authentic with the voters. Otherwise, they'll see right through you. Mm-hmm. Kathleen? Oh, I, I agree with, with Loretta. Um, you know, she also has just a quick and forceful, she makes a quick and forceful impression um, as a tough and sensible leader. And I think that definitely resonates with, with people of all types of backgrounds. Yeah, I think she's much better retail than Mitt Romney. I was uh, one of the Mitt Romney fans here in Georgia, and when Newt was kind of the popular one, everybody kind of assumed he would win Georgia. And Rick Santorum actually came in second. But uh, Mitt's team, we you know we were kind of just waiting for the eventuality of his his win because he did have the money in the organization, and that's what's extremely important is running a campaign like a business. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell us about how Carly's uh, y'all are on the phone calls with her? I know she's had some uh, town hall type uh, phone calls as well, mm-hmm. but y'all are probably privy to one where okay, we've got. Are, is she organized in all fifty states yet? Well, I will say that they are organizing in in the prime. They're doing it in order, so there's a heavy con- <laughs> there's a heavy concentration. I might be on the map right now. Yeah, okay. she's uh, she's uh, heavily concentrated in Iowa, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. South Carolina, and I would say that here in Georgia, she has a very significant presence. Mm-hmm. She's also uh, well staffed and organized out in Colorado oh. and Nevada, which also have uh, earlier uh, earlier in the primary. So um, you know there is a strategy. I'm not, um, and I don't. I think Kathleen and I are not privy to the okay. campaign strategy necessarily. You're not going to tell me everything about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Some <laughs> things have to be kept under wraps. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but but with, there is there certainly is uh, a lot of organization ongoing right now. Okay, and uh, you know, is the the fact that Georgia is not a winner take all state that mm-hmm. has got to certainly put us you know, on the map of a lot of the candidates. And, uh, you know, is Carly planning to come back to Georgia in the next couple of months and be allowed to give her day-to-day itinerary? Or 
I'm just kidding. But, uh, I mean, y'all have got to be, you can see all the candidates are coming in, doing kind of a Georgia-South Carolina swoop, mm-hmm. because obviously you've got the eighth biggest population state here in Georgia and South Carolina, which is the third primary state and kind of the gateway to the South. Oh, so. yes. Right, And right. we're getting a lot of requests for um, Carly to come to certain events, and so we will, There, she will be back in Georgia, and we'll keep you abreast of, of that activity. Loretta, do you want to, is there any? No, I think, I think it's realistic to say that, um, you know, I think we've spoken a lot about the, the interest level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and let's talk a little bit about some of her policies, some of the stuff mm-hmm. that she's talked about specifically, because, you know, the one of the biggest complaints about Trump is, sure, he's a very bombastic and is mm-hmm. touching and talking about what people want to talk about, but his solutions, as I mentioned earlier, are very simpleton, very kind of uh, basic or elementary, and I would think Carly would be able to start formulating some pretty specific plans as far as cutting the national debt, uh, some job creation, uh, limiting some of these draconian regulations. Has she put out some uh, really solid platform points? Well, I would say I I think one of the things, um, national security, which is obviously one of the primary roles of our federal government and and of our president, um, she has laid out a very clear plan um, and policy positioning. Uh, she gave a, a an address, a formal address at the Reagan Library um, prior to the first debate mm-hmm. and um, spoke at great length about how she sees uh, our country's global policy initiatives and what she would do in the White House in terms of repositioning our country as a global leader um, and how she would um, ensure that our U.S. military is perceived to um, be the strongest mm-hmm. in the world. So all of that for your for your listeners, if they want to see where she is on national security, I would refer to that those mm-hmm. remarks that she gave. And she took questions from the audience after she spoke about mm-hmm. 20 minutes, um, addressed Iran, ISIS, the U.S. military, and so forth. Um, and that is available on YouTube. Okay. So anybody could just, you know, yeah. Google I Carly. I she does yeah. have the advantage against several, almost all of them. I would say Trump probably has a very good international relations as well, but her being uh, probably, HP has got to be a Fortune 50 company, if not bigger, but her having international experience negotiating, um, not war treaties necessarily, but certainly dealing with international people that have uh, very high-powered positions, that's got to give her an advantage over somebody like a, a Dr. Carson, who is a great neurosurgeon, but really doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, uh, of international foreign policy experience. So how do you think she lines up in the field of, let's say we've got 10 solid ones we can leave off the governors. No offense, Corey Ruth. I know you've you got Christie's... Uh, He's got to be up there for you, but uh, there's there's probably ten that um, are resonating somewhat, and I think she is right up there as far as foreign policy or at least uh, ability to communicate with with other countries and, and people with competing interests, if you will. Well, she's been very clear about being able to having spoken to world leaders um, in her capacity as as CEO of HP. She's talked about her relationship and personal um, relationship as well as professional relationship with Bibi Netanyahu yeah. mm-hmm. and others. Um, and yes, in her capacity, she was traveling abroad quite a bit and talking with world leaders and negotiating some pretty strong deals. We saw even Rick Perry in the last yeah. debate say, "I'd rather have Carly Fiorina negotiating, you know, our international trade agreements or um, foreign policy agreements." 
Um, but I think what few people know is that after Carly left HP, the uh, then director of the CIA... Michael Hayden, to Kathleen's point, invited her and asked her to chair his external advisory council. So she had one of the top um, U.S. civilian security clearances. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of her role in that capacity was to help bring more transparency and accountability to the agency, but also to advise on cybersecurity. And data and, sharing. Mm-hmm. And so, and we know today that's one of our biggest threats mm-hmm. from Russia and yeah. China, certainly, is cybersecurity. So she's well-versed in that area, both practically um, through her technology experience, but also through this role um, in advising not only the CIA, but the Defense Department and Homeland Security. And just to add, also, in addition to um, her experience with HP and the global global community, um, after, so post-HP, Carly led Opportunity International, which is a nonprofit um, organization that specializes in microfinancing. Mm-hmm. And so that's another avenue that she was able to yeah. interface with global leaders of yeah. all times. And microfinancing mm-hmm. is really cool. <coughs> this is going to um, third world countries like Africa and, and Bangladesh and some, well, Africa's a continent, sorry, mm-hmm. but there's a that's lot of third world, it's comprised of a lot of third world countries. And giving $1,000 loans to entrepreneurs to start their businesses. And I'm a huge fan of, of the mic. I didn't know that either. See, another factoid <laughs> that uh, is under the radar a bit. But that is something that is giving people in other countries a real opportunity. With my wife being from Ecuador, I have extensive traveling. Ecuador's not, it's more second world. They have basic infrastructure. And they don't have famine problems like some of the uh, countries in, in, in Asia and in Africa, of course. But giving these people these small loans that a bank wouldn't wouldn't touch and being embroiled and intertwined with the community it, it it i think it is definitely helping things and her i mean that's again that's something that y'all need to focus on in order to to, to really bring out uh, some of the to, to fight or combat some of the negatives that i'm sure the liberals will throw at her oh yes definitely and i think what you know to this whole idea of microfinancing the opportunity international has given out eight billion dollars in loans if you think mm-hmm. of the average loan that was given as $150. Right. And many, many of those recipients were women. Mm-hmm. So now these women across the globe and in underdeveloped countries are able to help support their own families and um, to help restore the, the local economies in their villages or, or local communities. So so that's huge. So I always say, and when, and when I came on board with Carly, um, you know, for me, the federal government, one of the biggest roles of the federal government and of the president is to, to make sure our economy is on track. Mm-hmm. I think most of us can agree with that no matter what side of the aisle you're on um, and that Carly has unique experience and that she understands the entire economic ecosystem. She knows what it takes from a microfinancing loan to what it needs, what a small business needs and she's been talking quite a bit about that. How do we restore our economy? How do we restore growth in America? How do we employ people? And small businesses create two-thirds of the jobs in this country. That's a fact. Yet business starts are, are almost at an all-time low. So, um, you know, we need somebody in the White House. We need somebody in Washington that can bring that experience to bear and say, this is what small businesses need. Less regulation, more access to capital, more opportunity. and more opportunity. Well, it Laporte, provides sustained Catherine. solutions, not failed solutions. Well, and that's <coughs> a great note to end on, a positive note, an optimistic note. And uh, I'm optimistic that she will be on that debate stage on September 16th. CNN, Loretta Lepore, Kathleen Ruth. 
Carly for Georgia, Carly for America. You can find more about the team and uh, the campaign online. Thank you all for listening to Greg's List. We'll see you next week. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.